What is he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Does I got a steam, man. I've been in meetings all day. Maybe this is not a meeting. I'm having fun now. Welcome to this uh, second, what do they call it, episode of season four, where we basically are taking some time to debrief what we learned on um, the podcast from two weeks ago. If you're not familiar with what we've been doing, we've been talking about the six least likely but most necessary trends that we had to see in disciple making over the next uh, 10 years. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Mandy Smith on the call, Kevin Harris, Carrie Lattiser, Myron Pierce, Rob, you were on the call, all incredibly bright people, except for, well, you know, maybe the guy smoking the cigar. <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, that means we've got it up on YouTube. But hey, uh, the first conversation was about the one of the biggest trends, and uh, everybody agreed it was a top 10 trend, and everybody also said it was going to be challenging for it to be likely, and that's uh, fully alive, becoming more prevalent, like people living spirit-filled lives, uh, growing uh, from the inside out with the fruit and the gifts of the spirit of Jesus uh, that come into them. And that's got to get bigger than some type of surface level uh, moralism. So uh, Rob, what you mind just kind of recapping what fully alive looks like? And Brian, you want to take a shot at just recapping quickly uh, what uh, a surface level moralism was like? Should we give them a quick context or should we just go go ahead without it? Yeah, sure. You bet. Uh, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So it's a fullness, um, a sense of your very being overflowing with love. And you actually become love, overflowing with joy. You are joy. You are peace. You are shalom. That Jesus is living through you in increasingly fuller ways. And you're, you are becoming who you were designed to be. Um, it's what we're all aching for. It's what everybody is trying to scratch and claw their, their mm. way towards. Um, but Jesus made this unique claim. Pretty much, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want the fully alive life, become my disciple. Um, and everything else is sort of a pseudo uh, attempt apart from Jesus. So that's a fully alive life. Cool. Brian, you'll take a shot at surface level moralism. Yeah, it sounds like there might be a, a bird near Rob that's scratching and clawing his way towards something. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's what everybody on the planet is trying to get to. We just don't agree on how to get there, right? <laughs> Sorry. I'm probably on the bird. Term, but yeah. There's a bird chirping in the background. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so I don't remember the specific definition that you gave two weeks ago, but I read just a quick little quote on something earlier today that said, uh, doing the, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Hmm. I saw that captured, you know, at like a, at a high level, it's like, that's what service level moralism is to me. You know, it's like, I want to earn God's love and I need to strive for it. And I got to do all the right things, check the right boxes. Um, it's a, a behavior modification and leans into the transactional uh, version or approach to salvation rather than a transformational one. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that'd be surface level moralism from, from my vantage point. I don't know what you'd have to that. Then we use it to judge and critique everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And even ourselves, based upon those in comparison to others. Yeah. Uh, So great stuff, great context in case folks are jumping on here for the first time. It's really helpful to go back and listen to that. Go back. Episode one uh, before checking this out. But so here's the question we want to do. And we're inviting everybody to do this is, you know, discern. What is God asking us to do uh, from what we heard? It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to uh, course correct or make uh, you know adjustments to what we're doing based upon what we heard. So the two questions we've agreed to just talk through are what challenged me personally the most? Um, you know, and then what, what changes do we need to make in our approach based upon what we've heard? So this is our first time doing this. We don't have a plan apart from just dealing with those. So uh, who wants to go first as far as the challenging? What challenged you the most? in that conversation. I went back and listened to it. So this is the other Brian, uh, earlier today, just listened to it a second time. And uh, I think it was Mandy that made the comment, uh, we're doing things in God's name, but not in God's power. Hmm. And I was just taking notes on my computer and I wrote this one exclamation point. Hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm, you know, there's a, a ton of, just little snippets out of that first one that you could write down and make into those clever signs that you hang over your desk or whatever. But that one was one that I I think I've, you know, I've heard that phrase before maybe, but just in my current season of life, just hitting me sort of like, man, is that not sort of the moment that I'm have even been in over the last six or seven weeks or longer? I don't know, but it just was highlighted for me of, realizing again, I have to continually walk away from that surface level moralism. And if I am feeling a weight on my chest or my shoulders that I don't feel like I can carry, it's probably because I'm trying to do things in God's name, but not in his power. So that was a, that was a personal challenging thing uh, for you. And one of the things that came through on all six of these trends was it has to start with me personally before it can yeah. become part of me corporately or, uh, you know, organizationally. So good. Rob, what about you? Challenging. There, there were two things that stood out to me. One was um, facing the reality um, that it's always a small number of people that will choose the Jesus way to the fully alive life. Yeah, the remnant. Uh, you know, you look at what Jesus did and uh, when he ended, it was fairly unsuccessful <laughs> numerically, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's got 120 or so, and it's hard for us, you know, to mm-hmm. um, wrap our hearts around that dynamic of what it means to follow Jesus. We have these exceptional in the new Testament too, where it's like, wow, but in short order, literally the enemies of the church were saying, you filled this city, you know? So there was a rapid expansion and a multiplication of disciples and microchurches that shook a city. Um, But I think the temptation for us, especially as Americans is we just always are thinking about the big thing as the end game. Mm -hmm. And rather than committing to this small, slow, invisible, long game, so that podcast, it was good. It was just like, yeah, I want to be committed to the small, slow, invisible, long game and trust the Holy Spirit to bring 
you filled this city? Because we do, you know, the underground and then also Disciples Made, we have a massive vision. We, oh, yeah. we really want to see millions of people impacted with the gospel, but there's no shortcuts, you know? So that was one. The second one was um, when Mandy was uh, quoted Roar. This is something that's just first time I read it. It was like a, an unveiling of the whole, you go from order to disorder to reorder. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah that a big part of following Jesus is actually like confusion and disequilibrium and vertigo and what feels like I'm falling into failure. Ah, I'm actually falling into God's great mercy, but it doesn't feel like it. Like I want to run the other way. Um, so like with, it made me think about, you know, FM, LM, you know, missionaries made, and it made me think about our missionary pathway that um like we've been kicking around the idea of how do we bring the disorder piece into the missionary pathway like we've been talking about uh how do we bring in conflict and chaos so that it's expected it's um not necessarily invited you don't want to invite the disorder but like you do want to be ready for it and go this isn't actually things i know things are falling apart but they're not actually falling apart like it feels like it how do we do that more intentionally with disciple makers? Because it took me a lot of years to wrap my heart. I'm still very, uh, I feel weak at it. You know, like I'm beginning to have enough trust now to go, okay, this is all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, it made me think about how do we upgrade that for disciple makers? So they're more aware and, and more ready to trust when it feels like, everything's falling apart because it is it's the way of jesus like you don't skip the cross the and you know the tomb um and i'm afraid if we're not careful about that it's like we're setting up for failure if it just feels like man the fully live life it's just whoo up and to the right <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> sandy beaches <laughs> sipping on iced tea up to the right man just keep climbing and climbing it's like no 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 it's like the potter's wheel you're gonna get smashed down (laughs) after you thought you got up so high it's like it's coming back down but you're really not going down i mean you're going down but in the right way yeah i was listening to big things for me i was listening to a call the other day and they were processing the question of is it science or is it mystery and as I was listening back through it today, wait, 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 can it be mystery science theater? <laughs> now we have to pay some sort of royalty to somebody. Probably. Um, just in light of um, that, that order, disorder, reorder, it just kind of brought that back to mind again, because I made that note as well, just in Carrie's comment of repent, reimagine, reorient. Uh, I was thinking of that science and disorder you know, or science and mystery. And basically they fleshed out with like science is at one end of the continuum that says, I know the three steps to get there and I can make this happen and I don't need anything else. Hmm. And then mystery was at the other end of the continuum where there was like no awareness of how anything happens. It's like it's purely Holy spirit and I'm just here and whatever. And the question was like, are we at our, is your network at the mystery end or is your network at the science end? Hmm. Um, and I was like, man, I just feel like that's such a false dichotomy. Um, I mean, it's helpful to think through like, which end are you on, you know, but it was like, 
I mean, I just feel like there is such an intentionality in even the repent, reimagine, reorient. I know even Roar makes that comment of like, you, you shouldn't do uh, the re or excuse me, the order, disorder, reorder. You shouldn't do reorder alone. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's actually helpful processes to help you reorder and build like, and, and it's helpful to be done in community, mm-hmm. not solo, you know? Um, and then on the mystery and it's like, I don't know, I just feel like for us in that disciple making, like we're just constantly trying to run back and forth between those two worlds where we're saying, yeah, we've got like, we've got intentional disciple making environments and there's intentionality baked into those three, that three word phrase of intentional, like there are things, but there's also this mystery and this artistry of the Holy spirit that every one of those IDEs that you've ever led, they always feel different. every single one of them there's different dynamics at work there's the power of the spirit in different ways different yeah everything it's like it's not two ends of a continuum it's like somewhere on the backside they met you know it's good man great comments guys um i'll share my most yeah yeah I'll share those in a minute, but they were so challenging. I had to put some encouragement com- comments. <laughs> Here's some of the things that encouraged me. And one of them is actually goes along the line of y'all's, uh, y'all's comments. Like uh, when you put the continuum out there and Rob, when you, right before Brian mentioned the continuum, you mentioned that whole idea of, you know, embracing chaos. We actually intentionally create a little bit of chaos uh, for people. Uh, which I love, which is actually one of these encouragements. Uh, Mandy said it this way, uh, we need to be unafraid of our powerlessness and our power. We need to be unafraid of our powerlessness, which means we have to take risks. And we need to be unafraid of our power too, means we need to exert the power that we've been given to steward. Mm -hmm. And I love the way she said it. We need to be unafraid of our powerlessness and unafraid of our power. And to me, that was a tension. And we intentionally create tensions uh in these things to make people think it was kind of fun you know thursday morning uh when i'm kicking off my leaders made it was week two and we went from Henri now and in week one which says be completely irrelevant don't care about what people think about you to Anley stanley uh, which is high about being you know casting a relevant vision and having a, a relevant win with your life and and things like that so it was just kind of fun to watch some people say i hate stanley and uh, let's go back to now and having the people in and, and 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 we made it clear we're creating this chaos and yes. into the one that's the most challenging for you keep learning and keep growing and benefit from the people that feel the opposite of you so i was encouraged by that kind of piece because we really when it comes to power that that tension that line that continuum is always there for people and uh, i, I so agree that- man i i remember when i was first going through fm and just delighting in that and the how much the holy spirit does in that space of tension yeah. and that's what and how it, it's such an important oh, man. in our culture where it's it's always like pick a side and then yeah, either or just it destroy the other people who don't agree with you and it's a beautiful embodiment of john 17 actually it's like we can be different mm. and be one you know, not on, especially on the non-essentials, right? I mean, I'm not talking about, well, I think Buddha and Jesus are, you know, I'm going to hold those intention as equals. <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to hold things that are scriptural intention. Yeah. Genesis 1, man, the spirit is brooding over the chaos. 
I'm not saying we should create chaos so the Holy Spirit will move, but when we create that, like, you know, it's like that's that is when yeah. that is the true place where it's like because we have created a bit of a, a tension, it's like now we have to just stop and go, we need you to lead us in this moment. Yeah. Rather than Those picking up. Those are powerful. Okay. So here's my my most challenging. I couldn't take notes on what to do next because I needed you guys to help me process this in order to figure out what to do next. The first uh, thing that challenged me the most was that the folks on the margins are our models. And I, I can't remember if Mandy said it or if Myron said it or a combination of the two. It was, yeah, it was kind of a combination. She yeah. kicked it off and then he talked about the street cats. Well, yeah. he st- she started with the actual phrase because I remember listening to it and I remember thinking, I wonder if Myron is going to challenge the use of the word margins. <laughs> he, he sort of eased into it, but he didn't go there. I've just heard him talk about that before. So, yeah. but then he he emphasized it and affirmed it with some different language. Yeah, um, yeah. I the the reason that was so challenging is I don't have the resources to know what these models look like. I don't know. I don't even have a plan for how to have a plan for that. Uh, it's not that they're not important to me. To me, the best thing I can do for people on the quote unquote margins, whatever word is best to use there, is to continue to raise up the, the, the latent power that's in God's people uh, to discover their masterpiece mission and serve every area. Uh, like It just seems to me I would rather raise up 2 million people to make a difference in the lives of people in the margins uh, than to serve people in the margins with my one life. This is the best way I could probably serve them. That's not a cop out. That's just kind of what I've been doing so far. But just because of that strategy, uh, apart from isolated events uh, that we just choose to do, either as a family or individuals or organizations, I don't have a way to get to know them. So uh, help me, help me. Like, I, I think, Brian, that um, there a couple of things. One is I do think what happens in our IDEs is we try to get into the marginal spaces in people's lives. So I think her intent is, you know, like when you look at the refugees, they're well aware of their powerlessness. They know they're up against systems that they can't change. There's a lot of forces working against them. And what can happen, especially in this suburban American life, is we can live under this illusion that we can control everything, that we are powerful enough to get done what I need to get done. And Jesus basically says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like until you get in touch with your poverty. And that's the gift of moving intentionally with uh, in those spaces. Um and I think for people like us, exposure to those places is what helps us become aware, you know? Um, and I guarantee you in every single person's life, there are marginalized, quote unquote, marginalized people. We tend to try to contain it and go away from it. It's like, I don't want to go near that couple going through total chaos in their marriage and probably mm. going to, like, I'd rather just like, I'm praying for you rather than like, I'm going to go sit in attention with them and not have an answer and not know what to say and just be there. And that's one of the things that 
I looked to my youth pastor. He did that with us a lot, almost to the point where it was too much. Like you have to watch out. Like sometimes I feel like we got pushed into situations where it's like, we are not old enough to <laughs> be in this space. Like maybe we got pushed too hard too early. So you have to be wise about it. Cause that can lead to certain like trauma and bad decisions and all that. But sure. Yeah, I do think counselors. <laughs> I do think places like FM, it's like, hey, we're not going to run from this guy's addiction right now, guys. Right. Like yeah. we're going to we're going to be here and walk together and realize how powerless we are and how much we need Jesus to do what only he can do. So that's really helpful to extend that definition of margins to not just be a particular demographic, but to be an assumption that we all have that and to have the courage to walk but into it. I want to be clear though. I don't think, I think Jesus is like, go to those places, like not just um, metaphorically, but I mean, yes. like I'm, I'm pretty much like, if you don't have a friend who's poor, if you don't have a friend who's differently abled, if you don't have a friend, like you should look at your life and go, Lord, I'm maybe too cloistered hmm. because they're there they're in your life somewhere. It's just, am I willing to make myself available, you know, and not tokenize them? That's the tough part. What does that mean specifically? I mean, I think I have an idea, but. Yeah. Like I have friends like that and I intentionally spend time with them, but I don't want to make them a project so I can check my box again, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Like, Hey, I've got friends that are in the margins. I'm awesome. You know, cause then you're using them and that's, that's evil. Like, how do I, how do we, look at them as equals. Like I'm in, like you're rich in ways that I'm poor and vice versa, you know? And I'm thinking of one particular friend that um, no one would see us as equals, but there's ways that I've learned so much from him because I approached him just as my, I try to approach him just as another child of God, you know? But he's the kind of person a lot of people look and go, well, that's a black hole. Oh, it's not, not strategic. And it's like, I don't give a bleep because yeah. <laughs> Jesus doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ryan, I think what are you thinking? I'm just going to agree. Like when you say tokenize, it's like that you're friends and you don't talk about it. You don't have a need to share all of the good, like that, that goes back to the service level moralism too, or like moralism mm -hmm. is always the, the Pharisee standing in the marketplace saying, you know, Lord, look how good I am and look at how whatever, you know, look at how I've cared for this poor individual and how I've elevated them and made such a platform, man, you, yeah, I just know you love me so much more because of that. And so at the same time, I, I don't think it means that we never celebrate them or never talk about them. I'm not trying to like run to some other end of a continuum, but like not looking for every moment to go, well, let me tell you how I care for the marginalized or the poor or the, um, and I, I, I've been trying to find some different language actually for that of, I mean, not, not personally, but just trying to listen, listen, I guess of, um, rather than the marginalized, you know, it's like people at the edges of power. Because uh, it's usually located as a central locus of power. And then it's like we would call the people at the edges, the marginalized or whatever inside. They're just at the edges of the power center. And they have different, they may make a different power center one day. You know, it's like I want to elevate that and run and learn like Rob is talking yeah. about. So I just think remaining curious. Um, and I agree with Rob. I think it's a continual move to say, 
Um, like I love your posture of how, how do I help the callings of hundreds and thousands understand who their friends are uh, while at the same time making my own friends hmm. um, and knowing that I'm going to do it really poorly sometimes. And I, I'd go back to, you know, repent, reimagine, reorient. And every time I recognize that I'm not in that space, like repent, you know, make it quick, make it common. Um, and then reimagine how can I, how can I take my life and posture it towards the edges of power? Hmm. And also, I mean, I love this not being, you know, unafraid of our power, but also being willing to lay it down. You know, it's like in that tension of saying, what are the spaces where, um, I don't have to speak or lead. Yeah. Michelle shared this quote at an equipping gathering. It was really powerful about Lord, help me not to be afraid of how beautiful and powerful I am basically in you. Like we're, we do fear that almost as much <laughs> of like accepting what it means to have the Imago Dei, what it means to be a child of God. And that's the same. That's another pit where it's like, no, we have to step up, straighten our shoulders back and remember who we are. You know, that's, that's a part yeah. of the world being changed is when people actually embrace that true identity and, and they'll go, oh, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. It's like, well, it's not about worthiness anymore. Yeah, that's taken right. care of, man. It's done. Right. <sighs> yeah, that's my story. That's the that's my story. And that's why Disciples Made even exists. It's because somebody did that. It's true. Me, invited me up, you know, to level up. I see something in you that you're not leveraging. And that's poor stewardship. And you need to get over your fear and walk into what you've been given. That's the nature of my story. So, all right, second one, let's uh, move on. I think I've got some good ideas about how to process that. Like, how do we augment some of the bless coaching? Because it's the bless rhythms that actually create opportunity as much or more than anything else to go into those spaces uh, with people True, man. Uh, and to not, dis- you know, not discriminate and who we're choosing to bless because if we're doing that in proximity, whether a network or a neighborhood or whatnot, those, those people it's assumed are there. So I really like that. Here was the second big challenge for me. Um, Rob, you said this, you said people become broken in families and people become healed in families. And I know that there are people who have been uh, healed uh, or at least had the exposure of the big sicknesses that were lying underneath a false facade uh, during our experiences, but there are a couple of things about the way we do business that make this healed in families thing um, not accessible. Uh, The first is our limited time experiences. They break a growing family. I mean, whether it's six months and followers made or 10 and a half months for leaders made, there's a growing sense of family. Um, And of course, relationships almost always transcend the experiences. You walk out with three or four you're closest to that do become a family, uh, but not in the way that I think you talked about it. Uh, and then the second, second aspect of that that was challenging for me is I do my groups cross country now um, and they're all on Zoom. So does that have a measure of community that grows? Absolutely, particularly within the triad, it gets even deeper. I mean, it's, it's rich. Um, and it's growing. The benefit of the way I'm doing this now is it's growing a network of high humility and high capacity people. So it has great value. 
Um, so, but is it worth it? So I left with those kind of things and I want to, I want to, you know, take what we heard and go, all right, is this taking away from the capacity to be healed in a family? Is it modeling family so that people actually do family? Uh, I'm just curious as to what you guys are thinking and what shifts we might make or, you know, augments we make to the plan to better incorporate this capacity. Yeah. I mean, I, I think first of all, it's modeling. Yeah. It's a, it's a demonstration of, of how to do this, especially for you in the sense of uh, across the country, but even the short-term kind of deal. And I'll just, I'll kick another idea out there that didn't come out in the podcast, but came out in a coaching call I did last night because I pushed this idea of how we can't live in multiple contexts all over the place. Like we have to choose a couple and go deep in order to create a sense of family so that we can disciple effectively and create extended spiritual families. Uh, And so I made that comment where you have the 12, you have the three, where you have the 72, you have the three and the 12. And uh, one of the guys in the room said, I just want to push back on that because it seems like Jesus was moving all over the place, doing work here. And then they go over here and then they come down here. And I, I was like, Hmm, I've not thought about that. But then my immediate reaction was, I would say there's a difference in doing some missional activity or some ministry and doing disciple making with this core that he was with. And not that you're not disciple making with these people in this 10 month experience online, but maybe a bit of a distinction with like, we create sort of this, you know, community and family together because we're always together and our lives are fully integrated and we're seeking to live more in that everyday gospel community. Um, And I, I just like to see maybe a little bit of a distinction where there's times where we bring our family with us to do ministry in this space or this, this other uh, whatever. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So a little bit of a distinction on, seasons and times where we push into a specific effort, but there's still a family that's behind us. That's informing a lot of that work that we're doing. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you just rattled something loose in my brain, man. It's interesting. Um, if you look at what Jesus did, it, 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 he was developing an apostolic team, but he was also showing them how to do family deeply. And if you look at the new Testament pattern, you know, there are these apostolic teams that travel that, you know, light fires and, um, but the sustaining work, uh, is these households of faith that stay. So it's almost like Jesus embodying both of those dynamics. Like there are going to be apostolic teams that do travel and one of the ways they travel brian phipps is zoom nowadays it's like one of the best ways to get around um it's definitely the, a cheaper place <laughs> yeah but the goal is like am i leaving behind like in the city of rome a network of extended spiritual families or like in ephesus that now is spreading down through that whole corridor of the empire into all these key cities on the trade route where there's this ongoing you know decentralized network and i think you're trying to Phipps. I think what's happened is it's like, we're trying to strike a balance with that. So it's like, we're modeling what this is like, but the goal is to leave behind eventually um, these networks 
of extended spiritual family. So it's, it's a little bit like our story with um, what, what emerged through FM and LM and missionaries made in microchurch learning community. One of the things that's come out of that now is in our city, there's a network of dozens of microchurch families that are staying in context, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm just, it's, I've never yeah. really thought about it from that particular angle of Jesus sort of trying to embody both. Yeah. And I don't think there's a, there's a requirement just to, to meet all the ideals that came out of the podcast, but I do want to, I do yeah, enjoy yeah. this processing to see. And one of the things that popped out since you've been talking this last little bit, Rob, is that, you know, and both followers made and leaders made, I'm thinking specifically in leaders made, because that's the one I lead every year. Uh, we are asking the question, how does this chapter affect how you'll lead first your family, you know, then your uh, spiritual uh, calling, and then your kind of work environment or other relationship. It does start with family. So we really are trying to imprint uh, what we do and, and how that relates to the particular family that they can heal in. And what, what if the healing family was the, the, the hurting family was, became the healing family. Uh, that's really the goal, right? seems to me. Yes. Yeah. And we're uh, the part of what's happening too, is just the work of deconstructing churchianity. That's part of what disciples made is about, mm. you know? And so, that experience and modeling piece is what builds the hope and capacity. Like if you think of, um, I just got a text from Matt Barnes. So I'm thinking of Matt and Sarah just popped in, you know, like been through intentional disciple making environments that are modeling environments. They've got a capacity now for them. They are leading an extended spiritual family in their network. And even today, you know, dealing with some chaos in there, some pain in there, some hurt in there. And navigating a very crucial conversation with someone that they've been very influential. Um, like Barnes, the Barnes family has learned, has gained the capacity to do that because they went through these modeling experiences. Mm -hmm. So now they can be in Piper and really be a force for transformation um, because they experienced it. It's like, oh, I see how to have these conversations. I see. Uh, what it looks like to navigate that kind of, um, you know, again, marginal space. It's like, oh, it's scary out here. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out at the edges. But they also have an extended family of coaches and mentors that if it gets over their head, they just reach back. And you don't get that in a six-week thing, but you do get that in a six-month or a, a long thing. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, I've kind of come to the end of my notes. Do y'all have anything else you want to share before we sign off on this thing? No, it's really, really helpful to process that together. I'm really glad we're doing this. Yeah, I like this exercise a lot. I'd be curious uh, for anybody who is listening to the podcast, you know, what, what kind of uh, debriefing are you doing? What did you find? Huh. What steps are you going to take? Whether you use Disciples Made's tools or whether you add this to your small group or your Sunday school or, or whatever it is. Uh, that you use to to uh, multiply disciples we'd love to hear from you just kick us up a note to info at disciplesmade.com or podcast at disciplesmade.com we answer them all uh, we'd love to hear from you um in two weeks 
Dying to self has to become greater than entitling myself. We've got Kevin Harris coming back. Rob Wagner, the one and only, is back. Grant Skeldon will be a first-time guest uh, on the podcast. Mandy Smith will be back and Carrie Latticer. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, fellas.